This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your delighted host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. You're going to be so glad you're here today. We are in a series called For the Love of Funny. I have said at one point or other at this series that if I could, I would run a humor series six times a year. I am so drawn to not just comedy, but funny people. and. This is this is making my day. All the folks that we have in the series, this is my space and what I reach for, what I'm drawn to, not just because I like a laugh, but I'm also fascinated with the structure and the skill of comedy. And it's not easy and it requires so much work and I'm fascinated with the timing of comedy and the rhythms of it and how you build a joke or a story. I'm just, I'm drawn to this genre and the people who are good at it because 
the best can help us find something funny in the darkest thing and really serve us with their storytelling and their observations, just kind of right when we need it. And I'm grateful all the time for people who are good at this. And so our guest today is one of those people for sure. And if you've been around me at all, this will be the 10th time you've heard me talk about him or urge you to sign up for his newsletter or buy his book or follow him on socials. Like this is one of my favorite funny people. His background and his original real job was a journalist, which is kind of serious. But then he stumbled into the good fortune of writing about politics and pop culture in a funny way, which is genuinely his skill. So today, you guys, we have our Eric Thomas back. He is so good at this. He's just so good. No matter what he's writing about, politics or pop culture, celebrity, he's just a brilliant writer, period. And he's so good at funny, which is hard, which he and I talk about. He was on the show a few years ago. We had a series called For the Love of Finding the Truth. And we talked to him because at the time he was a staff writer at L.com. And he wrote a daily humor column called Eric Reads the News. And we were just talking about how humor can be found even in like the hardest truth and even the news, which is so bonkers and bananas. And that's his, that's one of his like honed skills. And so now he's taking, he took that kind of sensibility to his own like personal humor newsletter. It comes out once a week. It's called Here for It. I told him this on the show. I've never missed one. Never. I think I've read everyone he's ever written. His brand of comedy writing is my favorite and he is the best at it. And so if he wasn't busy enough writing a weekly column, a weekly newsletter, he's a television writer. He wrote for Dickinson on Apple TV Plus. He wrote for Better Things, which I watched start to finish over on FX. He's a playwright. He is a best-selling author. He's written Here for It, which was his first book. And then he wrote a YA novel. And then his newest book, which we'll talk about in this interview too, it's maybe his best work. And it's called Congratulations, The Best Is Over. (laughs) Oh, he's so good at what he does. And since the first time I ever read his work, I made up my mission to track him down and make him my friend. And I've done it. And he was careless enough to give me his cell phone a few years ago, which I have used with impunity. And so when we had a funny series, I knew I wanted him to come on and the timing was perfect as his book had just come out too. And so I want you to have all things Eric. And so you're going to enjoy this conversation and you'll see why I love him so much. So without any further ado, please welcome the inimitable R. Eric Fans get excited because Eric's back to the show. I'm so just delighted to have you. And I'm so sorry for my egregious, just when I like somebody, I just track <laughs> them down like a hunter. And I feel like I've done that to you. And I kind of want to say, I'm sorry. Don't. Why would you ever say, no, this is like, <laughs> this is what I talk about in therapy all the time. It's like, 
how do I know that people like like me and want to be around me? And so I'm like, okay, but then there's Jen Hatmaker. It's very right. clear. That's <laughs> so very I clear. appreciate it. Yeah, you have, to, just, you have to tell the people you appreciate that you appreciate them. So I appreciate I mean, you. Listen, I'm your evangelist and <laughs> constantly pointing people to your books and to obviously your newsletter and just your socials. And so anyway, when you sent me a copy of your latest book and I read it in one sitting, of course, on a plane, then I just started texting you. I started a text campaign. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, <so> great. <laughs> how, how can I talk to you more about this? Um <laughs> So anyway, it's just fantastic. It's been great to have you back. You've been on the show before. It's been a couple of years. You were on a series with us called For the Love of Finding the Truth. And we were talking in that conversation about how truth can be found in humor and sometimes humor can be found in truth. And thus you have job security. Like that's kind of you're at that interesting intersection of making it all either as absurd as it actually is. Or making it a little bit more palatable, and you're so good at it. So you were at L.com doing that exact thing for quite a while, and that's where you were last time we talked. But you've moved on from there, right? I have, yeah. Okay, so can you give my crew, like, this is where I, this is my deal. This is what's happened since last. <laughs> this is where I'm at now. This is what I'm doing. All of it. Well, I, I would love to. People ask, you know, all the time, like, oh, what have you been up to? What's new? And I'm just like, oh, where to start? Like. You know, because I was writing a humor column about politics and pop culture for four years, I found the pandemic to be a little bit of a hiccup um, in, <laughs> in my work output. And I was writing the column for a couple more months into the pandemic. But after a certain point, like nothing was funny and there was no pop culture. You know, there was no TV was all old. Celebrities would go onto Instagram live. And celebrities, it turns out, most of them are very boring. And so they're just living from these boring, like, no wall decor, no decorations, everything echoes. You're like, where do you live? Totally. So I just like, I was just like, oh, aghast. I was like, oh, it's a famine of culture. And at that same time, I had gotten, so I released Here For It right before the pandemic began. And then I released a second book called uh, Reclaiming Her Time. It's a biography of Maxine Waters in October of that year. And then I got in a book deal to write a young adult novel that was a, like a contemporary gloss from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I thought to myself, what if I just do this and see how it happens? At the same time, I was also writing for a television show called Dickinson over Zoom. And I like logged on to the Zoom platform the first day and there's Lynn Nottage, two-time Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, and Z-Way, who this is before Z-Way had a Showtime show, was, you know, huge. She was still doing Instagram interviews with celebrities where they would embarrass themselves, which was phenomenal. And I was like, what is this life, you know? Yeah. So I, I left Ellen in December and I published uh, my young adult novel. I started writing more for TV. I started developing my own TV shows. At a certain point, David, my husband, and I moved out to a house in the suburbs, which is against my personal code. I know it is. Like having a lawn. You took us on the journey. Yeah. You did in all your writing. We were we were terrified for you, frankly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was terrified for me too. So it's just been it's been five years of exploring what well not it's, I guess four years since since that period. Exploring what can be, but also 
of five, like years of saying, is this my life? Is this where I want to be? Is this, and, and how do I find the funny in it? You know, I miss that column. I miss writing for Elle. You do? I really do. I really do. But even now, you know, our landscape is different. There's more pop culture going on. I think that we've changed a little bit. And I, I'm thinking actively, like, how do I get back to that place without it feeling retrograde, you know? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's quite a packed four or five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like, yeah. you just listed three or four whole careers <laughs> that people do, just the one, the mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And you're dipping into all of them. It's really exciting. This is, I love this about you that you're just like, why not? Why not a playwright? Why not a YA novel? Let me write some trade books while I'm at it. Let me work. Let me work over on better things. I mean, I love that because it's working for you. I'm curious because a handful of these, I mean, you're obviously a career writer, backgrounds in journalism. Like this is your deal. This is what you're born to do. But now that you're like putting words on a handful of different kinds of pages, do you have one that is rising up that you go, this keeps me up at night in a good way? Like, this is the one that I wake up right now thinking about. This is the one that I have the most, the most ideas like banging around my head, sort of centered upon, or I'm just, because you, you're in some brand new genres here. Yeah, yeah. I think for a while that was TV. I love TV. and part of the, the WGA, so I'm also on strike. And and the thing that was interesting about that is I'd wake up and I'd think, oh, I love, you know, I love these worlds. I love writing about these people. But it was so hard to get anything done, get anything put on air. There are so many shows that I've been working on that have been like just in development for like years and years and years and probably will never see a lot of day. And so some of that energy over the course of the strike has like moved back into novels, which was my first love novels and theater. And it's been like, I have all these worlds that kind of like are just springing up around me. And it feels more, it's like, it it feels relatively more free to be like, well, I could just write a novel as opposed to, I just write a TV show. It's like, okay, well, who's going to let you do either of those things? But I do feel like, I feel one of the reasons that I, I am trying a whole, a bunch of different doors is because, you know, I'm 42 now and I, you know, I think everything takes the time it takes, but I don't take it for granted that I have this opportunity because for years and years, I didn't have any opportunities like this. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to everything because I never know when the other shoe is going to drop. And, And I had a mentor one time who said to me, Eric, there is no other shoe. And at the time, I was like in a really low place. And I was like, oh, that's so deep. And now I think back and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, so we're just barefoot? Where, where are these shoes? There's, there's no shoes. The shoes are dropping. The shoes are not dropping. I don't understand. So like linguistically, I am confused. But I do see the opportunity <laughs> as I, I think of it just like always carrying an umbrella in your car. You know, it, it might rain. And I want to be, if it rains, I want to be ready. That's all. Yeah, I love that. It's so great to sit in the driver's seat of creation and of creativity and take some of the pressure off of it. At that point, that's usually when I can do my best work and just go, well, I've got a, I've got an umbrella. It, it, it might rain. Here it is. Let me be ready for it. And then it's so exciting again. And what a wonderful like 
dumb little life we get to have. <laughs> yeah, to truly. write our little words. Truly. I was listening to Ann Patchett reading an essay of hers called The Getaway Car. It's in a book called, this is a story of the happy marriage, her book of essays. And she was talking about how, you know, she felt like creativity needs boredom and that she worked all these, you know, she worked at TGI Fridays and she was a line cook and a waitress. And so she was like, the boredom was there and the financial security to some extent was there. And so she just wrote these novels in her head as she served, you know, mozzarella sticks or whatever. And I got like, I got so wistful about the the 10 years that I spent waiting tables. And then I thought to myself, Eric, you can do it again. You can go back. And like, part of me, my life is not really constructed in that way. And I'm like, oh, when would I have the time? But the other part of me is like, it's the the concept is be grateful that you got to this place because this is where you want it to be. And don't spend so much time, at least for me, don't spend so much time thinking, what if it all goes away? Because it didn't always exist and it will always change. And there will be people who are like, that's not my cup of tea. And that's okay. So, you know, I, you just, I just have to let it go. And when I don't hold it so loosely, when I don't hold it so tightly, rather, so much energy flows in and I feel so much lighter and I'm able to be funny and I feel like I'm like, oh, yeah, it shouldn't be. Every book shouldn't be miserable. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's one of my tricks in my bag, too, to loosen my grip because creativity follows behind that. And then also my other tool. Have I ever forced you to talk about the Enneagram? I'm sorry in advance <laughs> if I have. I thought no, I, if I haven't. You have well, not. I'm very excited you're the to only talk one. about it. <laughs> Do you even know what that is? Oh, I do. So I'm, okay. you know, I'm married to a pastor, and oh, every time God, I hang out right. with any of his colleagues, they're like, "What are you a seven? And I'm like, "I don't know." I tried to take the test; it was long. I hate it. I was. I did this great event at uh, the bookshelf in Thomasville, a bookstore down in Thomasville, Georgia, and I was sitting with these wonderful women, and they were all talking about the Enneagram, and I was like, "I got to make a confession. I find this really fascinating. You please keep talking about it. I don't know anything about it." And they like sold me on it, and again. I just like clicked on the test and I was like, ah, I don't have the whole afternoon. So <laughs> <laughs> totally. This is so fair. Like I, I really appreciate your strength to be like, I just I don't have to be a part of this craze. I don't. But I am a three, which is like an achiever. So I was just born that way. I was born, I was a tiny little born baby with like a blackberry in my hand. You know what I mean? I was just <laughs> yes. I was that's the way I came out. And so my other trick as just an achiever to keep the writing right sides in my life and to keep creativity active is just to constantly tell myself because I have this horrible, horrible little devil on my shoulder at all times telling me you could be doing more. Always. You could be doing more. You could be doing better. And so my other thing is just to be like telling myself on the regular, if this is it, if you've reached the outer edges of your community, your reach, sort of the genres in which you are being able to sort of flourish, this is enough. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. if it doesn't grow one molecule from this day, this is enough. And it is beautiful and it it is vibrant and I love it here. And if I can manage those two approaches, then I can kind of stay open to like new forms and new ideas. But the most, the other time I'm neurotic. And so I just, 
that's my normal way of being. <laughs> yeah, I feel that too. I feel that I so deeply identify with, oh, you you should be doing more. I tell people all the time, I'm so lazy. And they're like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> excuse me. Like, like, but I feel it. I, Jen, I feel it. I feel like, you know, Right now, I'm like I'm working on a novel, and I've got a you know a couple plays that are sort of in various processes of moving towards something production or something, and you know, and then all the other little things, and I'm like, yeah, but maybe I should also be like, should I be writing a like a film like like for when the strike is over, or maybe I should like be applying to more like fellowships so I can learn more. I'm like, should I start the podcast I've wanted to start for so long? All these little things. And I think to myself, if you were better, then you'd be busier and that would make you happier. And I'm like, I don't know that <laughs> that busier equals happier. I don't it know that doesn't, that's true. does it? No. I don't even believe that. No. But I, I know that gremlin. Mm-hmm. I know that exact <laughs> gremlin. And, and then it's not true. Then I feel stretched too thin. I feel like angry at whoever let me not have any of these boundaries. Right. Um, and uh-oh, yes. calls coming from inside the house. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I know what you're saying. And so there is there is a um, almost a discipline mm-hmm. to looking at what's on your plate and saying, these are my things for right now. And hey, this is a lot of work. I'm actually not lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is a series about humor in general. And so we've got like a lot of funny folks uh, in this series and in various genres, like, writers and stand-up comics and actors and we're kind of all over the place in terms of where comedy can be found which turns out is almost everywhere shout out to astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples guys it's already allergy season in texas my yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air so i decided allergies will not win this year so i tried astapro it has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster bro Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. You and I, the last time we talked, we, we had sort of an evangelical upbringing in common that we were raised in the church and then became adults. We've walked some similar spaces in that and also LOL that you married a pastor, but we're going to, we'll get to that. But um, (laughs) you were talking last time you were on the show about how actually you mentioned that your brother was one in your life to start pointing out some of the hypocrisies in the church and doing his own little humor critiques. And then even your mom kind of joined in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sharing some inside stuff at your church where women weren't really like deputized to lead or have any authority. Same in mine, total, mm-hmm, total mm-hmm. same. And I think that's interesting because you internalized at that point, something of a humor muscle in a weird place, mm-hmm, evangelical mm-hmm. church. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not that funny of a place, frankly. No. Not a great and audience. So, can you talk about your 
the early development of your own humor, where you're planted, because that's how life is. Like we don't just get to plop ourselves down into the funniest scenarios and then just simply make commentary. We kind of have to find it. And so that's not really a question. Do your best with that. (laughs) Do your best with whatever word salad I just lobbed at you. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think back to that time and think about, you know, my brother was three three years younger than me. And so at this time, he's like, you know, seven, 10, you know, 13. And there is a sort of sense, I think because I was such a golden boy at church. I wanted, all I wanted was to be good and to be accepted and to do all the right things and say all the right things. And I was like sort of frozen in this space. And because people would compare us, I think that it put him into this bad position where he was not me, which I feel bad about, you know, we've talked about. But from a humor perspective, it gave him this gift of being, of having having a perspective, having context and being able to step a little bit outside and say like, do we all see what's going on here? And when you're inside of the thing, you like, for me, frozen in place, just wanting to be good, terrified of being called out. And there was no perspective for me. It was all in the present. It was, I was a horse with blinders on. And I think from both like a humor position and from like a sort of faith tradition position, you don't want to have blinders on. And so I learned from, from Stephen, my brother, that like, it does not disrupt the system to step outside and point out what, what everybody can see. In fact, it helps the system. And it took me a long time to do that with, with faith community. I felt nervous about poking fun at it. Years later, I was in my 20s and I was with a good friend of mine, Jake, who also grew up in a more traditional faith and, or evangelical faith and then wanted to find himself. He's also gay. And so we decided to go to this church that we found online on this site. I believe it was called gaychurch.org. And it was like four churches that were open and affirming. And so we show up and we're both wearing exactly the same thing by accident. And we look look like boyfriends or missionaries or like (laughs) missionaries who became boyfriends over the course of our mission. Okay. We weren't. We were literally just two people who were like, do you let gays be here? And we show up at this church. It's like Baptist church. They, they were like, we're open and affirming. We're like, okay. And we walk in, everyone's wearing a rainbow pin. And it's like, I gotta say, it was like a little boring. It was so funny to me, the whole situation. I was like, I'm here looking like I came off my Mormon mission and I'm looking for rolling down the aisles and you know, catching the spirit, but also like not damning me to hell. And instead I'm like, oh, I love, I love this energy of the rainbow pins. But if you could just turn up the volume a little bit, that'd be great. Totally. And afterwards we were like, hey, what's, you know, so great that you have so many gay people here. And they were like, oh no, we don't. But we really want them. And I was like, oh, this is like a fishing experiment. It was incredible. Oh my gosh. So it's like, it's I think it's just so useful to to always know like from a humor perspective, you can step outside to the edge of the room and not be out of the room and still oh, be so able good. to say like, hey, we're here. We're all here. We all see this, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, now I'm back. I'm back in the room now. That's so good. I love hearing you say that. I, like you, have, my faith is so baked in. I just grew up, you know, I went to church three times a week as a fetus. And so the sense of like, anxiety and and guilt that I sometimes still have spike about being a pretty frank observer of the culture now 
and sometimes a dissident is weird. It's weird. It's weird to have it. And so it's, it's just a lovely idea to hear you say you can stand at the edge of the room and it also strengthens the room because everybody does see that. You only don't see it when you're in the belly of the beast. Right. And like, and they think there's a real power in someone saying like, Hey, you know how this always is. And like, you see it in family systems sometimes. Some things that are like hallowed ground. And one family member is just like, you know, your father always gets cranky about this thing. And you're like, oh, he does. That's so funny. But I couldn't say it because it felt like breaking the rules. And somebody has always got to be the person who's like, hey, guess what, folks? There are no rules. We're all in this system together. It is not going to break this to acknowledge the truth. That is so true. But, you know, it's like Seinfeld. Like, what's the deal with airline food? It's the same thing. We're like, we're just eating airline food. And they're like, hey, you know what? He's right. What is the deal with this? You don't have to, like, it doesn't break the airlines. <laughs> they're fine. You're right. It's not quite that fragile. As someone who is, I live in the top half of the glass, which is both good and bad. It has its place. But where I struggle is that I have a tendency to just, gloss and glamorize the things that I love. And I just want to shellac them into just their own (laughs) little altar and be like, this is, there's no need to improve here. And I do that with family. And so it's funny because, you know, I have five kids, four of them are in their 20s. And so I'll tell you who's not going to be a part of the glossy charade. It's a bunch of 20 year olds. And so when they come back in and they're like, yeah, quick question. What the hell? (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh, can you see that? I'm like, oh, you can. Oh, you did notice. And so it's true. Like that, that tendency can happen in a lot of systems. And there's something powerful about going to the edge of the room and then using humor. This is your, this is your kingdom. This is where you shine. This is where your crown is on your head. You are so funny that it makes me crazy. Like, Comedy is hard. And I'd like you to talk about that because I think sometimes people who don't dabble in in funny for a living just think, well, how fun just to get to be like a silly clown all the time. And I'm like, bro, it is so hard to be funny. Comedy, the timing, the rhythms, the observation of it all. I'd like you to talk about the craft of humor and how you've developed it and where you find where do you find the wind at your back and where you really have to slog uphill. Yeah. So I think that the column really was such a fantastic training round because it was like, you know what, they are offering me a stupid amount of money to every day find something funny on Twitter or in the news. And at first, you know, when I started the column, I was like, great, I'm going to write about Barack Obama, and then I'm going to write about Hillary Clinton in the White House, and that was not the way it turned out. And that was actually the best thing for me. People say all the time, oh, Trump must have been so good for comedy. And I'm like, no, because he's a very funny person. And describing a sitcom is never going to be funnier than watching what a sitcom. You mean. It's absurd and funny in and of itself. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, like, what am I going to say about this? You know, to point out How do I find, how do I step to the side of that room? That room was so big. And so it was so 
it was a great education to sort of find these little things, you know, where I'd be like, oh, you know, Jared Kushner looks like a little haunted Victorian doll. And I was like, this is perfect. That's I'm going to say that forever. Or to like just sort of, you know, to step away from politics and to, to make comedy out of enthusiasm. And I found really quickly that enthusiasm is going to give you so much more because... I'm going to write that down. <laughs> and it's like, so true. It is. You know, mm-hmm. like you think... The the easy thing is to critique, to punch down, to whatever. I learned that that's not true for myself. You know, first I learned that, oh, people actually think it's funnier when I approach myself with enthusiasm as opposed to self-deprecation. And I can still sort of poke fun at myself lovingly, but it's the love. I used to tell this story about joining the Gay Softball League and how I was like kicked out of there because I was too gay. And I that story. <laughs> <laughs> for a while that story was me like making being like don't we all hate me and like and like that was fine but then when I was like don't we all love how ridiculous I behaved at the gay softball league it became the story that ultimately ended up in the book and so I think from a craft perspective I always I'm always trying to find the enthusiasm because for me that builds a community when I'm like hey folks don't we love this then all of a sudden you're you're in already. And a lot of people say, like, I don't know half the references you make, because I talk a lot about Broadway. I make niche references to like black sitcoms from the 70s. And people are like, okay, thank you. That was really a lovely education. You still get the joke because you're part of the group. The thing that has been harder more recently is figuring out how to know what we're all thinking and talking about. Because the culture continues to sort of spread out because there are just people are coming from all different kinds of spaces. There's so so many little niche communities. There is nothing that's, I think, a universal experience, but it feels more and more to me like starting from zero, starting in a cold room, you know, and having to build the comedic architecture from the ground up. And... I think that's a good skill to have. I don't, you know, I don't always know how to do it. Like novels are a great proving ground for that, as are TV shows, I think, because you're like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know this this circumstance. Let me figure it out, you know? But if you think of, you know, the, whatever TV shows you find funniest, you didn't know those characters before, and then they showed up and they did something funny, and then you're like, you know how Sheldon always does that. So, you know, there are times that I'm like, I just want to like take something that already exists. Like there's Sheldon and there's young Sheldon. I want to do like even younger Sheldon, like, you know, like zygote Sheldon. It's like, oh, you know how, you know how babies do this? (laughs) But I can't. I have to, I have to tread my own path. Mm. That's so, it's an interesting point that even six years ago, we started from a more obvious common space just in general, culturally. And right now we're so splintered and all over the place. You're right. Like, and comedy, you just sometimes have to fish around a little and see what, what, what you catch on the hook. I use, you obviously have all these places where you can play with it and TV shows. That was a great example. I use social media for that. Socials are my comedy think tank because the stakes are zero. Well, okay, that's not true. Anybody can be canceled in a moment, but but <laughs> it, it's real low stakes. So that's where I try out ideas. So not so much even the comedy of it, but like, does this idea stick? 
does this idea have legs? Like, I think your, your point of writing from a place of belonging is powerful, whatever that is. And so that's where I find those little play, those pockets of conversations and ideas that have a lot of like communal power. And then you can write from anything. You can dig into the minutia of it and the absurdity of it, which is always funny and always plays. And sometimes I'm wrong. No, I I, I feel that I've I've been doing similar things, and you know I start off on Facebook just posting statuses for myself, and then I remember the first time somebody came up to me in the street and they're like, "Hey, this is weird, but I follow your Facebook. A friend of mine told me to, and you're funny." And I'm like, "Who are you? What's happening? Where's the cameras?" You totally, know? people are like, reading. Right, I'm a paralegal working in Jersey, you know, like typing out random things about spilling coffee, and and the, a stranger thinks that I'm funny. And then I moved over to Twitter more, and Twitter was the best of times and the worst of times. You know, like it, like it expanded my reach exponentially, and I like used it as that sandbox where I, you know, I was like. I wonder, midday on a Monday, I drink three cups of coffee and I'm just like, does anyone have any feelings about the television show Glee? And like, people are like, yeah, I want to talk about it. I'm like, yes, great, perfect. And, you know, obviously I've lost that. We've all lost a lot of that. We've all lost that. And Instagram for me is kind of that, but it is, it's very different. And I love the way that you use Instagram, like there's the stories that you're you're spinning out in your captions. I feel like I'm part of the group and there are places where I'm like, oh, I don't have that experience. You know, I don't have 20 year old kids, but I'm like, oh, I've been a 20 year old coming home with all their laundry, you know? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Those, those common threads. And there's so many to pick from. Because we also, at our ages, in our 40s, we get to mine our history. Life will give us plenty to find funny about and to write through if we can develop that keen ear to listen to who's, who's, who do we have? Who's our reader? And that brings me back to you because I want to talk about congratulations, the best is over. First of all, You are the best at titling, but that is so funny. Did you have to fight for that title? It's so funny. I didn't have to fight for it. We had to find it for a bit. And it was like a long process, which was very odd because, you know, I get attached to a title and then I, you know, I have to hear a lot of feedback about why it's not the right one. And so, yeah. And so, like, you know, it's a lot of emails back and forth. And so finally, I don't really remember what, how the conversation, we were, 9,000 titles. And finally, it was like this one where I was just like, here's a grenade. Is this... And like, immediately, like, I was like, they're not going to go for this. This is ridiculous. And they went for it right away. And every person I tell that title to, like, 90% laugh out loud. And then 10% are like, oh my God, are you all right? I'm like, perfect. That's exactly (laughs) what we're looking for. Both Perfect responses. It's yes. so good. I love this book. I've read almost everything you've given us to read in the world. And this is a, such a good book, Eric, because it's also, it's it's just hilarious. I told you when I texted you and I when I blurbed it too, I was like, the gay frogs, I don't, I'm not going to take it away because I want everybody to buy it. But it's so funny that I had to, I had to close your book. And put it under my seat on the airplane. Like, I cannot keep reading this. And, like the people around me were like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I don't I think so. That. I don't I think I'm that. not going to recover from gay frogs." And it's just <laughs> you can't understand what I'm talking about. But it's so funny. It's also tender. Like you really 
get vulnerable about your own story and sort of the inner workings of your heart and mind. And together, they really play well because you are drawing the reader into you as a person, not just entertaining them. And so I'd love to hear you talk about the writing process, how you decided what to include and what not to include, why you also made the choice to go, I think I'm going to just open up the little book to my heart and share it a little bit in a publishable way and how it felt to write it. Well, that is the real question. Every time, every day, I'm just like, why are you doing this? Why are you saying these things to these people? The fear that you had about writing in your early days, about whether you would lose the audience when the kids grew up, I absolutely understand that in in a sort of, you know, a sibling kind of way in that, like, I thought that what people wanted from me was the L column or, you know, at most the the way they hear for it kind of is is funny. And, you know, there's only one essay in here for it that's not funny. And it is, it's oddly enough, it's what the essay that most people talk to me about. And I was like, you got to learn this lesson, Eric. You got to learn this lesson that people don't see you as just uh, a jester or a comedy show. And I didn't learn it. I didn't internalize it until I read Jenny Lawson's Broken in the Best Possible Way. And I love Jenny Lawson. I love everything she's written. And I think she's so funny. And then there's one essay in Broken in the Best Possible Way where she talks about mental health and it's just serious and it's straightforward and it's so beautifully written. And I was like, okay, you're never going to be Jenny Lawson, but if this person who is the paragon of humor and of taking lemons and making lemon meringue can do this, then you can do this. Now I say that as if I were like decided bravely, I'm like, I'm going to open up my heart. But like the fact of the matter was I presented, I, it was a fight. My editor literally was just like dragging me into vulnerability. Is that right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, because I didn't want to do it. I didn't like, but we were going through, as a as a world, as a planet, and, and me and my husband individually were going through just the most paralyzing and disorienting time. And some of that is very funny, but some of it is very is really not. And I was like, let me write a hilarious essay about January 6th. And and you know, it's like, okay, it is funny, but like, does it everything need to be a joke? And every time she'd just be like, go deeper, go deeper, say more. And I'm only able to do that because I had a really good therapist, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it because I was like, does anybody want to read this? Don't, doesn't everyone want to have like a good time? And I know from my own experience as a reader and as a writer, that you can do both and you can have a good time with something that is both funny and heartfelt. You know, I used to read in the 90s, there were a lot of stand-up comedy books that would come out, you know, like Ellen, Paula Poundstone, you know, you, you publish a book of basically your act. Yeah. And I said to myself, I was like, Eric, is that what you want to do? Do you want to just do a comedy act in a book? And I said, you know, yes, <laughs> but I don't because not to, not to denigrate them, you know, they, they were doing something different. They had a different project, but I'm not a stand-up comedian. So how dare I, you know, I'm a storyteller. And the, one of the freedoms that I love about storytelling is that people show up kind of ready for anything. That's and right. So that's true. When I'm doing a storytelling show, when I'm doing the moth or something, people aren't sitting there like arms crossed, like make me laugh. 
Instead, they're like, tell me a story. And then they get surprised by laughter. And that's real power. And to also be surprised by emotional vulnerability is, you know, in a safe way, is a beautiful thing. I'm so glad that people are receiving this book well, because I was so anxious about it. And, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, do you ever feel like, oh, I, this is the thing that I shouldn't have shared? And then people are like, no, you should have. Come on, say more. So often. Oh, yeah. So often. <laughs> it's And generally, I've learned to trust my internal response because almost any time, with a very small handful of exceptions when I have just lost discernment entirely, but for the most part, when I write something and I am standing right there on the razor's edge of terror and almost regret, those are the things that draw people in the most. When I just felt like now I've done it, that was just too deep, too tender, too much, too true, too truthful. Generally, those are the ones that I hear about the most. And so when I feel that feeling inside, I'm like, oh, you're probably right. You probably should write that. Yeah. 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 I hate that. I do like, too. Let's just all hang out. Let's have a good time. And, but yeah, this, to, to say this is too truthful. Oh my gosh. All, all I want is to get to the truth. That's the heart of comedy for me. It's like, you know, like when you laugh, you're like, oh, that's so true. That's, that's what we want. We don't want people being like, here's a fictional circumstance. No, you want the person at the side of the room saying, look at this, look at this room. And sometimes the person on the side of the room is saying, look at this room, look how beautiful it is. Or look how ephemeral it is. Look how it's all going to fall away. And that's beautiful. And that's exciting to me. And I love, I love to cry. I think I love to cry at movies, love to cry at TV shows. And, but then I'm like, well, no one, no one can cry at my books. How dare you? I don't know what that's about. I've, you know, stumped many a therapist. I've got, we've got our best, our best scientists on it and they're not <laughs> coming up with anything. And that's okay. <laughs> well, I love so much that you followed your reluctant instinct to include it, or you just got bullied by your editor and both <laughs> count. They really yeah. do both count. Those are two real factors in the writing process. I loved hearing you say that people are receiving it well, and I'm watching that happen in real time. And it's just really true. And for all the reasons you mentioned, we are drawn to somebody else's tenderness. It draws me in. I am moved by it. It holds up a mirror to the parts of me that feel lonely or scared or confused or depressed and gives me a safe space to belong. And so why not? Why not us too, right? Why can't we also do that? We can. And so can you talk a little bit about what you're hearing from your readers? Because you're kind of on a book tour right now. Are you still, you're still. Yeah, I'm still bopping around. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like, yeah, the first couple weeks were like, there was everything all the time. And now it's kind of like gun spaced out, which is great. Yeah. One of the things that I have gotten consistently since here for it, and even before that, is I, and this is my favorite kind of email to get. And it's so funny. Yeah, I can also always tell when people are coming from from your show, from your audience, or from, you know, maybe Ann Bogle's audience. Because one, they'll 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 say, This is how I found you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. But like so many people will start the preface by being like, I'm nothing like you. I'm, you know, a 62-year-old, you know, white grandma in Kentucky, but I found myself in your story. And I love that because one, I want to know that. I want to know that you went into this with open eyes and open heart, and but you weren't expecting to like see a mirror inside. And that makes me feel like we're all in the same room. 
So I get that a lot. I've also gotten a lot from friends who, or people who sort of know me as an acquaintance who are around the same age, who are saying like, thank you for articulating this thing that I've been feeling, this like, this confusion about the way that life is going or this sort of weird energy that I don't know quite what, quite what to do with. And that makes me feel so much closer to people that I, you know, you see people all the time on social media, you watch your kids grow up, you see them move to different jobs, you see only the wins, you know. And I, you know, I don't quite know how to transfer this experience to social media, but like to be able to say like, hey, it's not all wins. But do you also have this feeling? Do you also have this 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 question about whether you're in the right life, whether you are living the right goals? I think that's really powerful. I did this. <laughs> I posted this Instagram story right before the book came out, and I had gotten rejected from a fellowship that I really, really wanted and would have really helped financially. And I was despondent about it. It was really crushing. Right after I got the email. My, my sparkly hat for the Beyonce concert came. And so I like put it on. I was like, I took to bed. I was so upset. And I put the hat on. I posted an Instagram story that was essentially like, hey, I got rejected from this thing, but my Beyonce hat came. So, you know, you know there's pluses and minuses. People really responded. They were like, thank you for sharing your, not only your wins, but your losses, because it seems like you're always winning. And I'm like, baby, I am always losing. Totally. I'm not going sh- <laughs> totally. to share that. But I'm like, maybe I keep thinking, I'm like, should I just start putting on my little Beyonce hat and just being like, hey, I'm wearing my vulnerability hat. And I wanted to tell you another story. So we'll see. I might, that that might is my so name. good. <laughs> As the signal, like everybody. <laughs> on. I've got something to share. That's uh, <laughs> so fantastic. I'm thrilled about it. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, so the book is out. It's everywhere. It's so good. It is, it's all the things. You, you manage to pack it in one book. It is so funny, bitingly funny in the way that only you do. You are so original. You just have such an original voice. And it's just all so lovely and human. And it's located in the pandemic, which we're all still recovering. Mean, we're all still reeling, you know, and there was nobody who didn't lose in the pandemic. And so it, it's a safe place to walk in and say, so much of this was real garbage and it made a real lasting impact on most of us. And so... Can you just tell my crew where to find you? So where your book, obviously. And then also, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. And at this point, I am just like, I am a megaphone for this. But for your newsletter, how to sign up for it, how to get it. When I tell you, I go through my inbox and it's just delete, delete. And I hit your thing. I open it, put it in another tab, save time. For, I mean, <laughs> yes, I, I, I don't that. think I've ever missed one. And I'm very oh serious gosh. about that. I think I've never missed reading a single. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Enough, I love that. Just tell everybody, tell everybody <laughs> where to get your stuff. Jen, I adore you. Thank you. So yeah, the book is called Congratulations, The Best Is Over. It's out everywhere now. Audiobook. I record the audiobook as well. That's a lot of fun. The newsletter I release every Sunday, most Sundays. It's a humor newsletter. And you can go to letter.rericthomas.com. My website is rericthomas.com. If you just want to go to the website, there's a little link on the on the site. But letter.rericthomas will take you right there. And Instagram is where I'm most active right now. I'm our Eric, O-U-R-E-R-I-C. But I'm also our Eric on all the other platforms, Twitter and Thread and Facebook, so you can find me on there too. But Instagram is where I'm going to put my little vulnerability hat on and tell you about all the things I didn't get. <laughs> That's right. Pull up a chair to my sadness. Yeah. That's great. And everybody, we'll round all that up for you. So I'll have that in one click for you every single place that you can find Eric. Thank you for coming back on. I'm always just delighted to talk to you and to see you. And I so admire your work and your mind and your relationships. And I just think you're doing a beautiful job at life. And it's just so exciting to get to be like a reader, certainly, but also like a stockier friend like I am. (laughs) Don't ever give me your cell phone. uh, Let it be said, like once I have it, I will use it. No, it's the best. Every text from you is the best text. So I'm like, (laughs) yeah, no, please. (laughs) Great to see you. And as always, whatever would ever bring you to Austin. I'm your girl. So whatever. I, I said, you want to come to Austin? I'll, I'll, I'll host you. I'll, we'll do a book thing. I'll interview you, whatever. Or, or I'll feed you at the very, very <laughs> least. Oh, that is the highest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, it's come. It's happening. I'll okay. be there. <laughs> All right. Good to see you. Much love. Thank you. All right, you guys, as mentioned, I want you to have all these things. And so if you go over to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, not only will I have this episode in case you want to share it, thanks for always doing that with all the show notes, but I will put everything Eric just said over there for you, all of his socials, his website, 
link to sign up for his weekly newsletter, his books, everything. So you can get everything in one spot because the world is kind of garbagey and it's good for our minds and our souls and our hearts to fill our feeds with at least some delight, right? At least some and some truth and some tenderness. And Eric gives us all that. So I will have that for you. So you guys more in the humor series to come. Thanks for being here. And I love, 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 love serving you. And so do Amanda and I and Laura and her crew. So you guys see you next week. 